Welcome to the Checkmates Go podcast. Join your favorite Checkpoint expert, Phone Boy, and his guests as they cover a range of cybersecurity topics to help you secure your everything. Be sure to subscribe and share, and don't forget to rate and review us. And now, here's Phone Boy. And welcome to Season 3, Episode 11. Back in April of 2021, when I talked with the Checkpoint Incident Response Team, two issues that they were dealing with were around SolarWinds, the supply chain attack that impacted a lot of organizations, and a zero-day vulnerability in Microsoft Exchange that needed immediate patching or your systems could be compromised. Even though these are two different types of issues, from the Incident Response Team's point of view, they're actually very similar in terms of how you deal with them. So we have Tim Otis, once again, from the Checkpoint Incident Response Team, and we have a new voice, uh, John Nichols, also from the Checkpoint Incident Response Team. I started out by asking Tim, well, what do these two issues have in common? From our standpoint as incident responders, we the call that comes into us is basically, in, in both of those scenarios, and they were both very, very hectic for us on a, on a team level, by the way, calls all day and night. But the, the, the gist of it is the same kind of drill. Customer calls, has solar winds or has exchange, wants to know if the threat actors have compromised it and moved beyond. There's a few things we check in each scenario, right? With solar winds, are they running the, the vulnerable version? Uh, do, do they have signs of the um, sunburst indicators on their machine? Those kind of things. Uh, with exchange, it's the, it, there's a, there's a similar, uh, process where are there web shells on the machine? If so, it's, it's possible that the, the threat actors compromised it and left a web shell. And the customer's question is always the same. Like if it's compromised, where did the threat actors go from there? What did they do to that machine? What did they, in the exchange case, did they steal email? And then did they pivot off of that box to other things in the environment? In SolarWinds scenario, that machine often has very high privileges in the environment and could do its its job in life actually is to do quite a bit of stuff in the environment, check things with root access, admin access to machines. And and it, so that, that makes it very scary for people to under, who don't, uh, who don't have like a, a very good AD policy with least privilege and who don't have great segmentation. And even if they do, they've often poked holes in that segmentation to allow the SolarWinds box to do its job, actually, to reach through the segment to another segment and and, and touch a machine to, to do its thing, check drive, check drive space, et cetera, whatever it's doing. So I think in some respects they were they were more difficult for us as incident responders because I think what we're used to is um, you know from an investigative perspective um, is customers coming to us something has happened they've done a level of investigation done a level of working something out you know they come to us here's these five machines that something's happened with um, can you you know can we go from there and we so we take a machine and we're always looking you know that that sort of investigation is always a backwards facing investigation what happened historically. I guess, you know, the thing about SolarWinds and Microsoft Exchange were that you knew there was a machine that was potentially compromised or compromisable in their environment. And you're doing you're looking from there into their um, environment to see if there's to see what you can find almost. And you don't know whether somebody's 
you know, there's not much in the way of artifacts to show that somebody has pivoted from that box into the environment. There's suggestion that they could. And the, the answer, you know, the answer we're being asked for is, did somebody get into our network? So, you know, we can go in and do a compromise assessment, but it's more difficult to do it, you know, especially like, like Tim says, SolarWinds expected behavior of SolarWinds that as a machine inside their environment is talking to other machines inside their environment. So if you've got control of the of, of a platform, whether it's SolarWinds, you know, whatever it is, if you've got control of an administrative level piece of software and environment that should be talking to other machines in the environment anyway, that's a really difficult thing for us as incident responders to go and find out because that is expected behavior. And if we're looking for somebody in an environment, normally we're looking for that lateral movement. We're looking for those things that look unusual. Whereas in the, in, you know, put it in the context of solar winds, it, there's nothing that looks unusual. It looks normal. And I would say also that with, you know, this where, where least privilege really matters. And if you're using something like a solar winds to monitor, are you using accounts that can actually do anything beyond just look around and but not touch? If you're using admin credentials to do that, then bad stuff's going to happen, right? It's a it's something that we need to be uh, that, that, you know, gets into, OK, what are your best practices? So even if you are using a tool like SolarWinds, which might which could be compromised and, and, and clearly was in some way. Right. And we could we could talk about how. But I think it's it, it you know, if you're following all of the best practices, then maybe you're probably you might even be safe if that's happening, because the credentials and the and the, the mechanism that's being used may it's less likely to be uh, potentially used nefariously although you know again if you're if if it if it turns out they're trying to pivot and you know escalate privileges and that kind of thing you know yeah it's still it's still an issue but i think but i think if you're following the the, the best practices of least privilege and making sure that you only give things the privilege that they need that it minimizes the risk that something is going to happen i mean it's we talk about this on windows right and, um i was reading about um some somebody has hacked uh, windows 10 so that a lot of the uh, you know, a lot of the vulnerabilities that can, you know, a lot of the issues with, you know, how, how uh, um, you know, that, that can happen in Windows actually just kind of go away because you've, uh, because you're not, your default account doesn't have administrator privileges. Because again, privilege escalation. So I think there's, there's lots of things you have to do and you just have to be wrong on a couple of those things for something bad to happen. Yeah, absolutely. We had those we had two scenarios of customers, two or two types of customers that called during solar winds. One, the solar winds had access to every single thing in the environment, every single thing, and it was a domain administrator account running as solar winds. And then the other scenario where there's proper segmentation, and like you said, uh, great lease privileges, the solar winds account is specifically allowed to talk to machine A, B, and C only. And or rather execute, you know, a, a certain number of things on A, B, and C. Other customers, like the first scenario I laid out, it's easy to bring SolarWinds in, drop it in the network, and give it domain admin and just let it go. But that's easy and very dangerous when it comes to the investigations we've 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 ran. No, I, I was going to say this is one of those things I think that's been waiting to happen for a while because. Yeah, and I, I, you know, past incidents investigation that I've done in a quite in, you know, a large organization was um, due to the fact that they found a piece of software running on their endpoint with system privileges that was doing all sorts of crazy things like who am I, net stats, stuff like that. 
And actually, the root cause we found, it was an, MS, an MSP's um, utility that was put there. It was running with system privileges and a completely unauthenticated user from another organization could run, could use that utility to run commands and do things on endpoints in the customer's environment um, without, without realistically knowing that they were running with those privileges. They just assumed it worked because it worked. And because it had been installed with system privileges, it ran with system privileges all the time. And even though the user and the MSP had zero privileges in that organization, they could do this level of work and everything just worked because it had system privileges. So, you know, I think if attackers knew and possibly, you know, maybe they did, if attackers knew that they had that, could could have had that level of, of access to another customer's environment. Well, and we know APT10 did it, right, with MSPs. So they, they knew that they could have that level of access to uh, other people's environments through a, a single source. And you know, that's what we've seen, I guess, extrapolate a little bit in the, in the SolarWinds thing. You know, I think where it's still not clear to me, maybe, is in a, and I know that like Exchange could be a target of, say, something like SolarWinds. But could it be the other way around? Uh, could it be that? You know, getting into exchange then allowed you to get to solar winds or you know so or what are these you know because there's been two different reports i mean solar winds overtook the you know the 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 infosec news cycle at the end of 2020 and you know and, and you know fairly shortly after that now we're you know now we're starting to talk about you know uh you know bugs in exchange that should be patched immediately um there's some commonalities between these two things, right? And and they and they, you know, do they point to similar problems? And, and I mean, it's ultimately, I think it's kind of this. You still end up having to do the same things to fix both. That you're just patching different software and, and following different best practices. But what's the what's the commonality between these two uh, you know, incidents that have gotten the uh, the infosec news cycle? I would say, from our perspective as responders, it really is the customer saying. I'm not exactly sure if I was owned or not. And if I was, how far did they get? And 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 because because we're both talking about servers, kind servers in the in the customer's environment that theoretically have more privileges than just some workstation around around the network. So I think I think from the perspective of response and investigation. It is the same in that I have a potentially compromised server. I don't know if it, I one, don't know if it was compromised. And two, if it was, where did, what did they do? What did they get? Where did they go? And those are the big questions that customers come to us with. So from a response standpoint, it's kind of like exactly the same. In fact, uh, our, our, we, we need to look at the access that the solar winds box had in the environment. We also need to look at the things that the exchange box did in the environment. If, for example, we find a web shell on that exchange box, what date did that land? And if, if that landed on a certain date, look from there further. What did that thing do in the environment? Very much like solar winds too. I think it represents kind of, you know, it's, it's a step on. I know we've been seeing, you know, web shells is a very, Web shells are age-old things, but you've got to be able to exploit something to get a web shell onto a server in the first place. So maybe we're just seeing, uh, you know, attackers. You know, we we know over the last year that attackers have been going at remote access solutions or services that are exposed to the internet um, because there are more services being exposed to the internet. Although services have always been there, 
and they just need to find the, the, the next vector, I suppose. So, you know, maybe these just represent the next vector of, uh, of the sort of attacks we're going to see. So we're probably going to see more attacks like this on uh, vulnerable on services that become vulnerable. Um, you know, does it say you must patch, you must keep up to date? Because how do you know that the update that you put in there isn't actually the vulnerable one that the attackers have got? Um, so you know, it, it, it's changed the game in some respects. Yeah, if, if the you know if the vulnerability, I mean, you know, let, let's face it, right? Software companies have or are releasing patches on a regular basis now, and to to fix bugs and to and to patch vulnerabilities and, and that kind of thing. And how do we know that that patch is safe and in, in, in not creating new new bugs, right? And this, and that's so people that are risk adverse and there's and, and you guys have seen this i'm i'm sure in 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 IRT you've seen that there are some companies that don't patch maybe because of that reason because it's working i don't want to mess with it but at the same time you so you might so it's it's kind of it's, it's schrodinger's patch right is do do we know whether the do, do we know whether this is going to make me more secure or less secure i think you know f- from my perspective I think you're better off uh, dealing with the known knowns rather than the, you know, the, the unknown unknowns, uh, it, you know, in, in, as far as, as far as making your decision of, you know, as, as to whether to do it or not. And you know that it's going to fix these problems, but yeah, this is a, it, it's a risk and, it, you know, it comes down to a fundamental issue of trust, right? Who do we, do I trust that the vendor has done their due diligence and made sure that this patch doesn't have some, some sort of unknown backdoor, but at the same time, if you don't apply the patches, you might be vulnerable to something that we definitely know about. I love the word, the term Schrodinger's patch. That is amazing. We, we, we should write that down. That's going to um, be the show title, by the way. I'm pretty sure. Yes. Very good. The, but, but you're right. You're so right. Like, you know, I'm sure you've seen it. All of us have seen it where big enterprises, Fortune 100, Fortune 500, they, they, they have change control windows for patching. They have test environments to roll out patches to see if it actually breaks stuff like it's not just as easy as it's patch tuesday here we go deploy all the patches there's 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 change control there's there's patch testing there's there's all these things that have have to happen before we can actually really apply that patch and that that rewinds us basically to the virtual patching system or what we used to call ips right like just like so many customers hit us up saying uh, all the time saying, Hey, do you have an IPS patch for X and, or I'm sorry, an IPS protection for X. And we'll say, you know, back in the day we'd say, yeah, we have that, but you should also patch. And and they're, they will patch and they're trying to patch, but they're scrambling to test it, verify it, make sure it's good. And in the interim, they want the IPS protection in front of that to, to try and mitigate any threat that they have. This is a, it's a, it's a risk management exercise to an extent, right? So it's, you want to do, there's all these things you should do, right? So, you know, again, applying patches, making sure you've got the right controls in place, making sure the correct segmentation, least privilege, all of that. This is all, these are all mitigation strategies for any of these things that come up, right? That we, that we talk about that, 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 that make the new cycle or don't make the new cycle. Uh, if you fail to do any one of those things, that might be the thing that leads to a compromise. And we don't, you know, we, we don't know exactly which is going to be the in this case. And, and you could do all the right things and still be uh, you know, it'd still be hacked. Right. And that's, that's not great either. But, um, you, you know, I think, I think it's very easy to get, to, to, I, I don't know what's the, be very, very fatalistic about the whole thing and say, it doesn't matter what I do, I'm going to get owned anyway. But at the same time, I think that 
you can limit the risk and the damage of something happening. If you do all the right things and yeah, maybe something bad still happens, you can, you can contain the risk, right. And, 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 and keep it, keep it, uh, keep it small and not spread through the environment. Like, uh, like our, uh, uh, like some of these, uh, issues have, uh, have had a propensity to do. It all does come down to operations. We were talking about patching, but also alerts, uh, it, it, and that goes to the front end. Like, have we, have we tuned our systems to make alerts that come in real? Are we eliminating the alert fatigue syndrome and, 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 and all of those things, uh, to, to the, the operations around watching the operations around best practices. Like you said, it can, it can limit the impact. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and that's where, you know, so I, I think where as a, as a company, there are the solutions that we offer, right? I think it's, it's, it's to try and get, get past the alert fatigue and get to the things that actually matter, right? Because there are hundreds or thousands of, of, of things that could, you could potentially be, uh, be, be chasing on a regular basis. And you want to know the, the couple things that actually are, are in real incidents. And, and I think this, and, and so it's, you know, you can't chase every rabbit hole, but you have to know the right rabbit hole to go down to be able to go, okay, this is a real problem and we need to do something about it versus, okay, this actually, this is something that got stopped by the, uh, by the malware, right. Or the, by the, or by the, or by the, by the, 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 the anti-malware solution, whatever it is. And, and I think that's uh, that's something we have to, you know, so it's, yeah, it's also in addition to being able to, uh, um, you know, detect that something bad has happened, but you, you should be able to prevent too, right? Because knowing that somebody's out there jiggling the handle and, and trying to get in, that that might be useful too. But do you need to chase that down necessarily? Not necessarily, you know, and this is, this is, I, you know, I see this question on the community a lot of people, you know, it's like, I want to get an alert every time that something bad happens on an endpoint. Well, uh, be careful what you wish for. <laughs> That's exactly right. And I can speak to this to the point of uh, we're, we're bringing online our managed detection and response service with, with Checkpoint Incident Response Team this quarter. It's coming online. Yeah, be, definitely be careful what you ask for on the endpoint. Uh, if you want to see everything, it might be noisy. And then to, to your other point about prevention. Okay, so we're we're walking through the process right now of figuring out if a checkpoint protection is prevented, if we detect something and it's prevented on on the endpoint, do we need to inundate our customer with saying, "Hey, here was something, but it was blocked." That's kind of not delivering uh, we're not talking about an active threat. So on the on the flip side of that, if if we're preventing, say, a malicious DNS request time and time and time and time again, that could indicate that the user's continuing to accidentally click a fish or the user, or there may be something else going on on that machine that we want to look at. But overall, uh, determining the process of looking at alerts, chasing alerts that are blocked, prevented, may or may not uh, yield good results and cause stress. It's all about context, right? And that's, and I think that's where, 
in general, right? Knowing that my endpoint's working. And, and by the way, this is a question that I think executives at companies ask, right? It's how do I know that I'm getting the value that I paid for? So there, I think there's some value in saying, hey, we are blocking some stuff, right? And, and, and you know, having that in there, but is it actionable? No, not necessarily. Although, and that's where I think some of the intelligence has to come in and say, okay, um, yeah, we're blocking stuff, but we're having to block it an awful lot. Something's going on here, right? And, and we may need to, you know, either educate the user or find out what's going on, right? Right. And so there, so it's it's taking it to that next step and saying, OK, what do I do about this? And that's where I think, uh, you know, like an XDR solution is going to be helpful. It's 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 sorting through all of that and in, in, in providing the rich context and what we're seeing is, you know, as checkpoint and and what our what our customers are seeing and being able to say, OK, here's what given that all of this is going on, here's the next step you should do. And I, I think that's the that's where um, that's where everybody is right now. It's like it, and everybody's being asked to do more with less and, and, and there's and the threats are on the rise, the amount of connectivity and all of these things are, are, are increasing. How do we get to, OK, what do I do? And, that, and, and how do I how do I get to the next step? And that I think that's where, yeah, like an XDR solution. And yeah, and, and having that enriched by um, both technology and human expertise, I think that's yeah, that's what's going to be needed. And, and by the way, not to you need to have some of the technology in place just because the, the volume of data is so great. But I think that but you still need that human expertise to go, OK, this is probably the next step. And this is going to be what's going to get us uh, um, keep us safe and secure. I think the human expertise bit on there is is important as well in that sort of service because you know I think the one the, what, the one thing that I talk about when I talk about our service is what the common recommendations are what the common causes of incidents are is that if you look at the chain of you know how an incident happened the root cause you know so take you know take the the phishing example somebody gets fished they click on a link they download a, a trojan the trojan infects their machine um, but three days later, the Trojan gets detected by endpoint protection, whatever, gets whacked, gets taken away. But it's, it doesn't matter to the attacker by then because they've got a foothold onto that machine or they've moved further on from that machine using privileges that they've got, you know, whatever that, that account, local admin accounts, they've moved somewhere else. So actually, that that is the response to those positive alerts. So, you know, I think the, the thing that we can give on top of that is, yes, it's been prevented or, yes, it's been detected, but it was only here for three minutes so it's unlikely somebody's done any, anything with it. If we get something that is detected, but it's been there for three days, that's where the human interaction bit is and saying, we should look further into this because we, you don't know what happened in the three days before this thing arriving and it being detected and you know, taken away by endpoint protection or a signature, you know, whatever. And I know we're in, you know, with, with XDR solutions, you're more into the behavioral side of it. But what if the behavior isn't necessarily suspicious because it's using that person's account. So I think it's it, it, it's defined. It, it, that that's the human bit on top of that's the human bit on top of the technology bit, which is delivering that service to people that you know. Obviously, we hope to deliver um, with our service. Yeah, and I think there's you know, and this is where the artificial intelligence comes in. We keep hearing about this, right? Is is you know, okay, we got you know, we got to have artificial intelligence and machine learning and, and cybersecurity, and and I think you know, this is I think any good service is going to have. Both, right? It's gonna. It's so. There's gonna be things that a uh, you know th that's gonna be picked up that maybe a human just because of the sh sheer quantity of data isn't gonna be able. To, they, they may not necessarily be able to connect the dots the same way. Um, 
does that mean the machine learning is always going to be right? No, it's not. In fact, it, you, you never ever get to a hundred percent, right? And that's, it, 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 by the way, any vendor who says that they get to, you know, hundred, you know, using, you know, fully AI and machine learning, they get to hundred uh, percent accuracy with no false positives. Well, that's just, that's just not possible. The, the math doesn't uh, um, support that, but you do get to certainty. And the idea being that, you, that over time with enough data and enough, um, you know, and, and, and the right information and, and, and human experts, by the way, feeding it and saying, yeah, this is this is really malicious or no this isn't right because it's it, it they're not that magical it's still it's still ultimately math being done but i think the idea is that you can that that can help right it's it's an, it's another set of eyes to be able to say this is um yeah th this is malicious or this is not malicious and given all of the context right and and again humans have some uh some limited capability you know, again again they can humans can only process so much data and you know the, the amount of data that uh that can be processed by some of the machine learning, uh, you know, in compute, compute storage and, and connectivity, right? All of that stuff is uh, continuing to go up. And so the ability for, you know, that's, that's where I think the, the, the artificial intelligence machine learning um, is going to, is going to be ver the most helpful. Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of Checkmates Go. Subscribe in your favorite podcast app, leave us a rating and review and share with your colleagues on social media. And we'll see you next time.